Hello, everybody. If we haven't met, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm uh, really privileged to start off this new year with you. And, you know, with, with it being a new year, I think a lot of us have this, these thoughts or this, these discussions around fresh starts or new beginnings or uh, just a sense of improvement or change. And if that's you or not, uh, it's sometimes a helpful thing to apply to the church, to take that momentum uh, from the season that we're in and, and look at the church and go, okay, who could we become this year? Or maybe even a bigger question, because we're starting a new decade, who will we become in the next 10 years? And I think it's an important question to ask. And if you're, you know, if you're here and you're committed to this, this church family, you might be wondering, okay, well, what am I signing up for? Like, what does it take and what's, what am I involved in? Or, or maybe you're here and you're exploring Christianity. You're a guest here today. You go to another church. Uh, you're listening somewhere else. And, and you're wondering, okay, yeah, well, maybe what, what, what are these Christians committed to? What does the church look like? And, and, as, as, and as we ask these questions, it's like, well, what are, what are we signing up for? And, and I know this, this has happened to me before with, with other things, not just church. Uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I, as we were doing youth ministry here together, uh, one afternoon she tells me, hey, I'm going to go out to, to mission and I'm going to watch some of my youth girls in a, in a dance recital that they're going to be in. Uh, do you want to come with me? And I said, well, yeah, that, you know, I haven't done much outside of Tuesday night or Thursday night with this particular group. I, I, I would love to go. Now, I'd never been to one of these things before. I didn't really know what to expect. So we show up, we sit down in, the, in this place, and we, we're kind of sitting beside some people that we knew, family members of the girls that we, what we were going to watch. And about 45 minutes goes by, and I'm, I'm starting to wonder, like, have I missed something? Like, I, I, I haven't seen anybody I recognize yet. And I thought, okay, well, well maybe where they are at in, in, in their level of, of, of skill at dance, maybe they're like the grand finale of this thing, and, and everything's building up to the moment where we're just going to see them up there. Like, like, maybe that's what it is. Uh, no. Uh, that's not what happened. Uh, an intermission is what happened. And I thought, oh, wait. I, I thought at most maybe I was committing like an hour of, of my time today. Uh, uh, what, what, there's more show to be had. So I'm like rummaging around, like trying to find information. Like I, saw, I thought I saw there was a program somewhere. And so I, I pull it out and I'm looking through, you know, okay, here's the, here's the order of things. Here's, doing, here's who's doing what and when. And I realize uh, the word intermission pops up again. I'm like, wait. We're in the intermission, but there's another intermission to come. What I didn't understand was that I had not signed up for an hour-long thing. I had signed up for, in fact, a three-hour experience. And I was like, what is this? Where am I? And my wife's like, well, yeah, I, I, I knew it was going to be this. I was like, what, what? Thanks for the warning. Like, where's, where's the, the snacks? Where's the chips? Like, somebody give me some, like, Mike and Ikes up in here. How am I going to survive? And, you know, we're sitting there, and, that, and that, I'm like, well, what did I sign up for? I didn't know this was going to be it. Because accurate expectations in life are sometimes a very useful thing. Like, you know, you're going to get married. Okay, well, 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 what should I expect? What are the dynamics of a relationship and, and living together and, and all that? You're going to have kids. Okay, well, what do I need to know about, about baby food and gear and all the stuff that comes with that? And how do, how do I sleep? How do I function in life? What do I need to expect? Or maybe you're going to take a trip somewhere to some country you've never been and you want to check out, you know, the pro tips for how to manage travel and, and language and, and, and cultural sensitivity and all that, right? Because accurate expectations allow us to get a clear picture of what we're getting ourselves into so we can adjust our lives according to reality. And how much more so would we want to do that with something as big and important as church? 
And as such, we're going to start off in this, this new year over the next couple of weeks looking at the church in the book of Acts. Specifically speaking, we're going to spend our time in Acts chapter 2 and look at this summary statement of what the church did, who they were about. Because from day one, the church was committed to some specific things. And I think as we journey through looking at the story, looking at the history, looking at what they did and who they were, God will reveal to us his heart for us here in 2020. The things that he wants us to be invested in, the things he wants us to be known for. So if you have a Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 42 to 47. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Acts, what you need to know about it is that it it comes in line after the gospel stories of what Jesus came and he lived a life, he, he died on a cross, and then the events following that are he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and Acts then records this distinctive people, what they went through, what they committed themselves to, and their experience from there. And in verses 42 to 47, we get a summary of the community life and this new type of lifestyle that the church lives from the start. So let's, let's read this together. It says in verse 42 and following, And they, the first Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's not a very long description, but there's a lot in there, isn't there? There's a lot of very interesting and powerful and unique statements that describe the community life of the first followers of Jesus. And anytime I come across this passage or, or anything in Acts about the church or Christianity in its early years or maybe the New Testament in general, I'm reminded of this question that American pastor and author Francis Chan asked uh, a group of people in a talk several years ago. And it's a question I want to ask us this morning. But before I get to that question, let me paint for you a picture. Now, now imagine this. Imagine you were born on a deserted island, fully isolated from society. Try to, try to picture the island. Make sure, make sure it's warm. Like, picture how warm, yeah, yeah, okay, it's nice. Sandy beach, cool breeze, palm trees, all this, the smells of the ocean, you know, that, that aqua blue, all that, that nice surf case. So you, you were there, you're picturing it, you're cut off from society, but you're in a really nice place. But now imagine somebody visits your island. First encounter you have with maybe somebody else from the outside world. And they bring to you the Bible. And you, and you start reading the book of Acts. And you're reading about Christianity. And you're, and you're reading about the church. And you're reading about what God is up to through these people. And you get this understanding. And you start to formulate this, this picture in your head of what church would be like. And then imagine that you get a chance to leave your island. And you show up in North America. You show up in Canada. For some reason, you choose Abbotsford to visit as your first stop, and so you show up here, and it's an it's amazing winter, and, uh, and you, you arrive and you look around, and Chan's question would be, would you recognize the church? Like, if all we had to go off of was what we read here, if that was our only expectation for what signing up to follow Jesus is like, 
Because make no mistake, we're not just giving ourselves to somebody who wants to rescue our lives when we become Christians. We're not just giving our life to a Savior. No, we're giving our life to a Lord, somebody who rules, somebody who can follow, somebody who leads and guides. If that's all we expected when we signed up for the church, and if the only picture we had was Acts, would we walk around Abbotsford and go, yeah, that's, that's what I read about. Yeah, that's what I see. Would we show up to Central Heights and go, yes, this is the type of people I've been reading about on my island. W- would that be what happens? And if our answer to that question is no, I think for me and, and maybe for you too, what, what it's easy to slide into is this mode of complaint or criticism, or just being critical of the church, and you start going, okay, well, well, maybe if we were more uh, loving, maybe, maybe if we had some better programs that partnered with these organizations, gave money to, to this project, maybe if we were less judgmental, maybe if we were less hypocritical, maybe, 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 and the list could go on and on and on. But I think what this series, and I think what Acts, and I think what God's heart is for us as we start this, this new year, is to remind us, hey, you are the church. I am the church. And before we get too quick to try and improve others, I wonder if there's something in us that God would point out that would align more closely with his heart that we see in the book of Acts. So to spin it another way, maybe, and maybe take Chan's question one step further. If every person who says they follow Jesus, if every Christian in Abbotsford lived the way you live, what would the church look like? Like for me, if everybody prayed like Jesse Wilson, if everybody gave like Jesse Wilson, if everybody served like Jesse Wilson, if everybody did community life like Jesse Wilson, if everybody spent time in the Bible like Jesse Wilson, what would the church look like? What would Central Heights look like? And would it look anything remotely close to what we see in Scripture? And as I wrestle through that for myself, as maybe you're wondering about that for yourself, my hope is that as we go through this series, as we look at Acts, as we look at what God does, we'd be motivated in a new way to follow Jesus, maybe differently this year than we did last year. To become a church more like Acts this year than we were last year. And could that happen? Could we, could we become that? So before we get too far into these descriptions of, okay, well, uh, it seems like they did certain things, so let's dive in, let's drill down into these, these characteristics, these descriptions, these, these attitudes, these activities that they did. Before we get to all that in the coming weeks, this, w- this one word popped out to me from this passage. And if you look at verse 42, you see it. It's this word, devoted. Devoted. And actually, as you look at the whole passage, you see language of everyone, all, uh, you know, devoted, committed. And it seems like, you know, there's this sense that there's everyone invested, locked in, together. In fact, the, the, the Greek phrasing of this word, as we see it in the passage, has this, this sense of steady persistence. Like what they did on all these characteristics that follow became their identity. This is how they began to exist on a regular, ongoing basis. There was a continuous faithfulness about this. Which, by the way, is something that we're familiar with. And, you know, maybe in this day and age, we don't make commitments very easily, or maybe we don't keep commitments very well. But there are lots of things we could be committed to. And lots of things that we actually are committed to. I'm not talking about things just like, you know, sleeping or or eating. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, recreationally you could be committed to things. Personally, you could be committed to things. 
Politically, you could be committed to things. Environmentally, you could be committed to things. Like over, over the Christmas break, I found out my, my brother-in-law, he, he's gone full vegan. So he's changed his whole diet around the, the vegan lifestyle and everything. So I'm like, wow, like, like why at Christmas of all times? You know, you get this nice, juicy, savory, warm turkey. Nope, <laughs> not going to happen. Like, well, what about, like, the, you know, the tasty, flaky, creamy goodness of, like, like the butter tarts? Nuh-uh. Like, wh- how? Why? And why? Right? Like, wh- what's happening? Why would you do that? But anytime we commit ourselves to something, be it a diet or whatever it is, it's because we've gone through this sort of pros and cons list of, well, if I do this, it will be better for me than if I don't do it. We, we run this kind of cost-benefit analysis and we go, yes, if I, if I do this, it will be more worth doing this. It will be more worth committing myself to this than not committing myself to this. And this happens to varying degrees of, of consequence. A couple of years ago, uh, in, in part of our, our youth program in the summer, we decided, hey, we're going to take a busload of people and we're going to go to, to, to Harrison Lake. And on Harrison Lake, there's this thing called Harrison Water Sports, which is basically this inflatable jungle gym playground out on the water. And so you have to take this, you know, this boat to get out there when you arrive. And there's all these structures you can play on, climb on, fall off of, hurt yourself on, laugh at others as they do the same. And, and one of these things out there we called the blob now the blob if you can picture this with me is like this gigantic cushion that's not fully inflated out on the water and the point of this thing is that you jump off an elevated platform you land in it and you kind of scurry yourself to the end of this big cushion because the point of it is as you're sitting down in the kind of deflated part somebody behind you is going to jump down and the force of them jumping down is actually going to cascade through the cushion pushing the cushion up where you are already sitting and launch you off into the sky into the water maybe out of the park if you're lucky and that's what's going to happen and so as i'm watching people do this it looks really fun it looks hilarious as people's limbs are flying all over and they're landing in the surprisingly cold Harrison Lake in August and we're like, well, this, this is fun. And I guess as the youth pastor, I want to make sure I get a part of this action too. So, you know, I get up there, I wait my turn, I jump down, uh, I scurry to the end. And what I didn't realize was that my, my friends were <laughs> uh, decided, hey, you know, we're gonna, we want to make sure Jesse gets the best possible experience out of his time at Harrison Watersports. And so what we want to do is not just send one body down to create that force of the cushion springing up at the end to launch him. No, we're going to send several people down off of the platform. And it's not just going to be several individual people. It's going to be several of our largest individuals. And they're going to jump down and they're going to create a force that Jesse's going to experience and love Let's do that. And so as it happens, I was totally unprepared for the jolt to my body. Like I had watched people all day and it seems like, yeah, they kind of just float off into the distance. And like for me, it was like, whoa, like I'm on like a roller coaster. And I'm like, I'm, I felt like I was in the sky forever. Like I was like, man, I'm going to like take a nap up here. Like it's like, where, where am I? And I'm up there for so long. I come crashing down under the water. And as my body slowly kind of bubbled up to the surface, I realized in that moment, this is the most pain I've ever experienced physically <laughs> at a youth event. It still is the most painful thing I ever went through physically as a youth pastor. And, and, and it's like, well, why, why would you sign up for that? Why would you put yourself in that sort of committed all-in position on this cushion to then experience that? Well, it's because my position was the result of a decision-making process. I was willing 
to organize an event. I was willing to get on a bus. I was willing to put on the appropriate swimwear. I was willing to pay an entry fee. I was willing to get out on the water on a boat to go to this place. I was then willing to climb up this thing and use the ropes and bruise myself getting up there. I was then willing to wait in line with a bunch of out of breath, half naked people to jump down and do this, right? That's, that's what I was willing to do. And I would do it again, probably. But all, any time we put ourselves in a position, especially one of such extreme commitment, it's always at the end of a process. An all-in position comes from a decision-making process. So for us as the church, if we're going to take what we see in Acts, if we're going to take what God's heart is and God's best is for us and move into 2020 for the flourishing of our city and the world and for the glory of God in our midst, what is the process that we are going to take as individuals in this church collectively coming together to become this? And so this morning, I have three questions to ask you that I've been asking myself. They're, they're, they're actually honestly pretty tough questions as I've wrestled with them for the past few weeks. Uh, I'm not even so sure if I've got a great answer or an answer I even like for a lot of these, just myself. And by the way, as we go through these questions, they're not meant to condemn. Like, be honest with yourself, be honest with God as you, as you read them, as you process them. They're not meant to condemn, but they are meant to make us aware because without being aware we're of our starting point, before we head into this series, before we start discussing all of what could be discussed from what we see in this church in the first days of Christianity, where are we at? So my first question for us is, am I willing to press into reality more than pursue escape? Now let me explain what I mean with this, because this may not land a, as powerfully for you depending on the type of lifestyle you live. Look at, look at when you look at Acts, when you look at the, the, even the section we read, something that all of these descriptions have in common is the fact that they are rooted in real world experience. They caused the early followers to, to immerse themselves into reality. Like there is a real word from God that needs to be heard, so we're going to devote ourselves to teaching. There are real needs, so we're going to distribute our possessions. There's a real urgency to come together to pray because God hears and God works and God responds and God uses prayer, so we're going to devote ourselves to prayer, and so on and so forth. All of this stuff rooted in the real world, which could be very challenging for us in a day and age where we spend a lot of our time every day, every week, actually trying to disconnect ourselves from the real world or to escape, if you will, the real world things that are going on in our lives. Like take even one example, take TV for example. I don't know if t TV is primarily meant or designed to have us understand, be aware, and, and ingrain ourselves in our immediate sphere of reality as much as it is meant to do the same thing for somebody else's reality, for somebody else's story, to get ourselves into some other character or situation and kind of distract us from our own. Like we live in a time where it seems like there's, there's more even TV streaming platforms than there used to be cable channels. You know, we've got Netflix and Crave, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Facebook Watch, which nobody will, but Disney Plus, Apple Plus, whatever it is, whatever, it's, whatever you're finding yourself in, most of that is not primarily designed to get you thinking better about your situation situation in life. Maybe it's not TV, maybe it's movies, going to the theater, maybe it's immersing yourself in a fictional world through a novel you read. 
or time you spend on your Xbox, PlayStation, smartphone, and some video game. Maybe it's drugs you're taking, legal or illegal. Maybe it's something you're drinking and consuming. Maybe it's simply the fact of, of just kind of shutting down and scrolling through social media simply because it's there. Look, I, I, honestly, I get it. I get it because we don't always want to have to think about our stuff all the time, right? Like we've got real relational conflict. We've got real job stress. We've got real deadlines in school. We've got real things that just maybe are, are burning us out, and so we want to escape sometimes from that. And I'm not sure what, what we need to advocate for is completely removing our self-care techniques and things that may not be necessarily bad, but I wonder what the effect would be if this next week we spent one hour more in the real world than last week. Like, how would that affect our, our prayers? How would that affect uh, our coming before God's word? How would that affect our availability in relationships? Would it be a positive thing? Because even just one hour more, like, that's less than 10 minutes a day for the next week. But I wonder what God would do with that. And I wonder if that would get us in a position to be more like a church that's got right in the groove of what God's best is for us and for our world. And if we answer no to this, like anytime I answer no to this question, I'm like, no, I'm not willing this week, I'm not willing this moment to press into reality to that degree. What, I re what I've realized in myself is that those are the moments I feel most distant from God. If I evaluate all my activity in a day and in a week, the times I feel the most disconnected, distant, uh, unaware, it's, it's those times where I've, I'm just shutting down my brain and I'm, I'm off in some other place. And maybe, that, maybe that's what it is for you. Like maybe that I, to help you identify where it is for you, maybe it's not entertainment or something I've listed already, but maybe there is something in your life where God's like, that is where you are disconnected, which is strange because I have given you the Holy Spirit, a power and a presence to be with you, guide you, help you, lead you, comfort you all the time. If we feel disconnected, maybe it's something in us that we're doing that maybe needs to be adjusted. Are we willing to press into reality more than pursue escape. But a second question, and maybe a tougher one, is am I willing to sacrifice for something that doesn't contribute to my comfort or convenience? It could be a sacrifice of time, effort, finances, attention, Whatever it might be. Because look, make no mistake, you look at, you look at Acts and this, this takes sacrifice. And it's not always about comfort. It's not always about convenience for these first followers of Jesus. You read through Acts, you realize people are getting cut down by swords and crushed by rocks. Like it's not always primarily about comfort or convenience for them. But yet there's sacrifice involved. There's sacrifice involved to be committed in such a way. So I'm wondering for myself and I'm wondering for our church, are we willing to sacrifice for this? That's a hard, it's a hard question because it, it, we live in a day and age where we want low cost but high convenience or low cost, high comfort. Right? It's why companies like Amazon are so popular. You, know, you, can, you can anonymously, without interacting with any real world person, find what you want, when you think of it, and get it ordered, delivered, shipped, arrived within a timely manner that fits your convenience. Right? It's why companies like that make supposedly like $5,000 every second 
It's because that's the world we live in. It's the world we actually are a part of, the world that we are, we are operating in. And I think if we answer no to this question, if we say, no, I, I, I'm not quite at a place where I would really want to sacrifice something for this, I think it's really easy, and I've noticed this in myself, to become what I would call an anonymous Christian. Where you don't necessarily need to engage, you don't necessarily need to pray or serve or give. You just come and you can just sit. Or maybe you don't even show up at all. Maybe you just follow your ten favorite megachurch pastors and get fed that way, and that's what it is for you. But I'm not sure that's what I'm seeing in the believers in Acts. I'm not sure that's what God's heart is for us as a church either. And if we become a room full of anonymous Christians, I think we're going to remain largely anonymous to our city. Well, there's not going to be a ton of awareness of, of what, what, are, what is God's people about? What does Jesus want to do through us as a people if, if that's the position we're in? Again, none of this is to condemn. It's simply to be aware and see, God, what is it? Like maybe something just needs to go in your life. Maybe he's going to come and be like, hey, look, certain things, and they're not even necessarily bad things. They might be neutral. They might even be good. I just want you to set aside some new priorities. Maybe you shouldn't start that renovation just yet. Maybe you shouldn't take that job off. Or maybe you shouldn't tr keep planning that trip. Maybe you shouldn't go to that school. Maybe you should stop trying to upgrade that thing on that video game. Maybe you should, you know, maybe not start that relationship or end a relationship. I don't know what it might be for you, but maybe that's a starting point to get us closer to an all-in position through the process of surrender and sacrifice. But this third question, I find personally most compelling and most helpful. And the question is, am I amazed enough by the actions of God to adjust my own? Because it wasn't like what we read here, that these believers, these apostles, these disciples, it wasn't like they kind of sat around and went, you know, we should start a religion. I think we'll commit ourselves to some stuff. Well, what do you want to commit to? Are you like breaking of bread? Uh, that's obvious. Okay, let's, let's go with that. Like, I'm, like how, did, how did that all come about? It wasn't simply because, oh, they, they kind of brainstormed a really good strategy to become a worldwide movement that would last centuries. No, what happened was they started off as a very small group, bewildered, confused, frightened, in a city that was hostile to anything remotely close to this happening. And all you have to do is kind of read back in the story. You could read as far back as the Old Testament and see God's promises in response to human brokenness and how that led into the coming of Jesus in the Gospels. But look, even as we get to the Gospels, like even at the end of, of Luke's Gospel, who wrote the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, what we see is, is certain things like this. Like just trace the story backwards a little bit to get some context. Like in Luke chapter 24, Jesus comes and appears after he rises from the dead and says, uh, to a certain group of disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's the city we find ourselves in our passage in Acts. You are witnesses of these things, he says. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And we get to 
the context that we find ourselves in Acts, the scenes coming up to the scene that we've been in already. And we see this is exactly what happens. Even looking through a couple places here in, in the early parts of Acts, Acts 1, verse 3, for example, Jesus presents himself alive to his followers uh, after his suffering by many proofs, peering, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And eventually he ascends into heaven. Eventually the Holy Spirit does come in and it's this incredible scene. All these nations now are hearing the word of God, the good news in their language. And the whole known world basically comes to an understanding of what's happening, what God is up to. Something new has arrived. A new day has dawned. You could skip around in Acts chapter 2 immediately preceding what we end up in uh, in our passage for this series. Like look in Acts chapter 2. Verse 22, where Peter saying uh, to this, this group of people, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Skip down to places like verse 32 where he says, you know, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Skip ahead then to, to verse 38 of, of Acts chapter 2. Peter said to them, look, here's what you need to do. You need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, it says he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So what happens is those who received his words were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then what happens? We get to our passage, and they devoted themselves the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, awe comes upon every soul. Many wonders, signs are being done through the apostles. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Look, it's the activity of God. It's the actions of God in his building of the church, in his fulfillment of his promises, in his setting up his kingdom to make things happen on earth the way they happen in heaven. All of this drives them to do what they do. And it can drive us to do what we do. Like, have you ever been invited to something, some sort of event, and then you were slow to commit, you kind of waited, you held off, you didn't respond right away, you didn't RSVP because you kind of wanted to see, okay, well, who else is going to this thing? You know, like as if the event itself or the hosts themselves, that wasn't quite enough to kind of get you to, to lock yourself in and, and, and commit. So you're like, you know, waiting to see who else RSVPs. You're texting a buddy going, hey, are you going to so-and-so's thing that we were invited to? And you're like, oh, you were. Okay, good. Because if you're going, then I am going. You ever done that? Like, you're doing that right now, aren't you? I know you're doing that, right? I'm doing it too. And, and like, look, that's because sometimes the actions of others can motivate our actions. The commitment of others can drive our commitment. 
the movement of somebody else can move us. This happened to me in a really kind of crazy way uh, growing up. As, as a teenager, my family had this, this, this trailer, a nice kind of pleasant 24-foot thing. We'd tow behind a truck, and we'd go camping in as a family. A lot of good memories doing that. And this one particular time, I, I'm helping my dad hook it up. It's hitched. We're, we're getting ready to go somewhere. Uh, I think he was going to go off by himself and maybe fuel up the truck or something because as he's driving down the street, I realize as I'm left behind that, hey, there was this power cord that runs from the trailer, it ran to our house or somewhere, nobody coiled that big, thick, black cable up and returned it to the trailer, and now it's, oh, it's part of the whole parade going down the street. I don't know what's going to happen. It's not a very short cord. It's not a very small cord. It's this big, thick, black thing that's now trailing behind this whole thing going down the road. What do I do? And so what I do is I actually grab onto this thing, and for what was probably like maybe a few seconds but felt way longer, I'm like basically like water skiing behind the truck, like going down the road, and I'm like hoping I can kind of get my footing, scramble, kind of catch up to a point where my dad can see me in a mirror and, and stop this whole mess. And like I said, you know, it felt like a whole action movie played out in front of us. Like, I don't, I don't know how long it was. It probably wasn't very long as it was in my head. But, you know, the, the most boring part of the story is nothing happened. No fires started. No, no you know, nothing was broken. Uh, that's just the end of the story. We, we got it all figured out, right? But what I'm reminded of when I think of that story is I think of this, this, this principle that, okay, I saw... My dad moving in a certain direction, and I grabbed on for better or worse, and I just started going because he was going. And I think this could be one of the most important motivating forces for us is when we see what God has done to build his church, continues to do to build his church, continues to do to set up his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, leading to the day when he returns. I think that is what we can then grab onto and say, I don't know how this is all going to go, but I'm going to be all in because God is already all in. It's like it puts us in a position to say, I'm going all out. I'm going all in. It's like, God, I see that you've already gone all out. You've already gave it all. You're already moving, so I'm moving. You're already going, so I'm going. You're already building, so I'm building. You already have a word to say to us. I want to devote myself to teaching. You have stuff you want to do through prayer. I'm going to devote myself to that. You want to grow a community of believers together, help them to grow in faith and, and, and care for one another's needs and be generous. I'm in on that. I want to do that. Oh, you're going to do signs and wonders. And you're going to add to our number day by day. I want to be in on that. It puts us in a position to say, I'm going all in because you have already gone all out. And for me and for you, I wonder if that could be the thing that drives us to be a church that is all in this year more than last year, to become a church that's more like the church of scripture, to become a church that's more like, like the one God is building and has best and good plans for the church that God loves and gave himself for and gifts the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if that's what it could take for us to be amazed when we see his activity and let that drive our own. Could we become that sort of church? You look, you don't need a ton of information. You don't need, you know, to have the right family background, educational background, career credentials, financial stability. You don't even need the right Enneagram. But what you need to see is the gift of grace available to you and respond to it. 
And yeah, maybe it'll be Central Heights Church. I don't know where, where you're at with that. Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll anchor your life here. You don't want to be anonymous. You're going to stay anchored. You're going to ground yourself and be all in here. But it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be a perfect thing to commit yourself to. Because I'm here. And because you are too. But we're not committing ourselves to a church because of its perfection. No, we're seeing our God and his perfection, his power, his promise, his presence at work. And we're just responding in faith going, I'm all in on that. So I want to pray for us as we start a new decade, as we start a new year. Look, there's going to be a lot of messages preached from this stage. There's going to be a lot of prayers prayed up the front, songs sung, stories shared, uh, gifts given in this place, worship happening. Would you pray that as, as we go through this process to put ourselves in a position to be more all and to be more in line with a God who loves us and has something better yet to come for us. We pray that we would see that in our day and respond to a God of love and grace and power to a new degree in a new way for this year and this decade. So let me pray for us to that end. Father, I thank you for all you have done, for all you are doing to seek and to save the lost. I thank you that you've done everything when we could do nothing. You came and sought us out. You love us that much and you have so much more in store for us. So as we look ahead, Help us to be honest with ourselves and honest with you to evaluate where our starting place is this new year. To evaluate where actually are we in relationship with you, in relationship with our church, in relationship with, with this thing called kingdom community. Help us to be motivated by your actions, by your love, by your power at work in us. so that you get more glory, that you're celebrated, so that you continue to transform lives. And thank you that you are with us and want to do this. So I pray for everybody in this room right now, myself included, that you would identify something from today that we could take beyond today and follow you in a fresh and new way from this moment forward. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're at work even now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.